Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, this threat actor has a great left Ryuk. Next up, not so great expectations. Cobalt Dickens strikes again. And finally, living off the land, the hottest malware hits of the summer. And with that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 26, recorded on September 16th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, in it for the long pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host, Emily, did you know I love APTs, hacker? And last but not least, Tarek, I heart malware Sala. Wow. Nailed it feels it. like it's been a long time. It's been way too long. It's good to have the crew back together. Yeah, the crew is back. The crew is back in town. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just jump right into it. So much to talk about as we do every week. So the first article is, this threat actor has a good left Ryuk. Um, that's a poor attempt at a pun for a good left right hook. So stay with me here. But a new malware with strange associations to the Ryuk ransomware has been discovered to look for and steal confidential financial military and law enforcement files. Uh, while Ryuk ransomware encrypts a victim's files and then demands a ransom, it's known for actually stealing files from an infected computer. A new infection discovered last week by Malware Hunter team does exactly that by searching for sensitive files and uploading them to an FTP site under the attacker's control. Whew, that's a lot, and Tarek, perhaps a good place to start is how exactly this malware works. What is its association with Ryu ransomware other than, you know, its strange association? Maybe something a little bit more descriptive than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this one's really interesting. Um, so behaviorally, when you take a look at this related malware, it operates very similar to how we see from a lot of ransomware. So uh, with ransomware, you see usually like a new process kickoff that'll hit a lot of really common APIs, like all of your, like uh, Petya and all these other uh, ransomware variants that you see, um, they all kind of look the same behaviorally, where you know the new process will kick off and it'll crawl the user's home directory looking for specific file extensions. And you know usually those file extensions are um, completely in plain text, so you can kind of glean statically what's the uh, what the malware, what the ransomware is looking for. And this related one operates the same way. So. This one crawls your um, user directory, um, and what you normally see is once a positive file match happens for those extensions, that's when like the normal ransomware would kind of initiate its encryption routine and then encrypt those files, and then you'll see like a ransom note being dropped on your desktop. Um, that's the normal behavior. Um, but at this point is where this unique malware kind of differentiates itself and kind of forks itself. Um, so once it does a collection of all your files inside of your um, home directory, it actually filters for specific document files like Excel and Word. And then uh, once it does that, it finds those documents and it does another really unique uh, kind of behavior too. So it has a series of unique strings looking for like specific sensitive keywords. So things like financial and secret and tank, contracts, uh, military. Um, it looks for those specific strings in the file and in the file name. And if it finds anything with a positive match, then instead of being encrypted, um, the files are then FTP transferred to an FTP IP address controlled by the attacker. 
pretty interesting stuff. Um, what I think is really interesting about this is we have uh, new malware using really old school uh, plain text protocols like FTP. Um, and I think that's really interesting because you know we have an attacker that's trying to capture really sensitive data, but they're transmitting it over non-sensitive channels. Um, kind of interesting. Normally you see um, sophisticated threat actors that are looking for sensitive data, at least transmit over HTTPS or you know some other unique data exfil method. But this one is just right off of FTP. So that kind of reeks of a little bit of unsophisticatedness, from my opinion. Um, and I really think this uh, this malware, uh, you know, all there is a correlation between it and Ryuk. This really looks like it's just straight up code reuse. Um, so this malware specifically looks for Ryuk ransomware artifacts to see if it's been infected previously. So a lot of ransomware will, when the when the encryption routine runs against files that it finds, it'll like change the extension, and the Ryuk ransomware changes it to a the file extension to a .ryk. And then there's like a Ryuk uh, file name for the ransomware note that's dropped. And you could see like behaviorally and statically that this malware related to Ryuk um, looks for those exact same things, but it doesn't actually do any behavior for ransomware or kind of fit the patterns of what Ryuk ransomware normally follows. So this one really reeks of code reuse. Ryuk reuse. Re. Cycle. Cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your alliteration. That Ryuk reeks of ransomware. Oh. Mm. I don't know if you use that. Or That's if that a tongue was, twister. It was a tongue twister. I also would like, I think this would be a funny thing to do. Like, what if users, when they're deciding to download an attachment or however, whatever threat vector you're grabbing something down from that's associated with malware, it'd be like an Amazon message and be like, you might also be interested in Petya. Like, <laughs> Hello, Virus Total. We got a feature request. <laughs> do we have an idea for you? <laughs> So based on how this malware operates, are there any theories or evidence pointing to the motive behind the, the threat actor or the group? Yeah, that's really interesting. So initially, I think the motive is pretty obvious on what they're attempting to do, you know, which is to gather sensitive documents, probably, I would assume, for blackmail, black, blackmailing purposes or potentially causing like a big PR leak. But the, but the, the interesting thing is I'm not sure... Um, the the FTP thing really kind of throws a wrench into everything. It's just it just reeks a very script kitty, very very immature kind of uh, means. So I'm not sure of uh, what this particular threat actor or group is really up to. Um, I, but I also firmly believe a lot of the attackers that we see are lazy, and so I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing copy pasting recycled code snippets um, that's getting the job done. So I don't think this is a case of the Ryuk authors changing their motives or TTPs in, at all. I just think this is just, you know, turnkey people that are taking some of that uh, infrastructure or some of that code and just kind of repurposing it. Yeah, it's a great, a great summary and I appreciate the, the context there. And I'm curious too, I noticed some of the files contain names like Emma or Liam so any thoughts on these uh, naming conventions? Yeah, I thought that was really unique. Um, I don't think I've come across ransomware or any kind of malware that has like uh, like a actual naming convention like what we see here. So what we have here is um, the people that originally did the uh, the, the write up on this piece of malware noted that these are like the top te like the top baby names in 2018 over in the United States, um, but. I'm, I'm thinking about it from like an attacker perspective. I don't know if having those kind of first names as keywords to match on would 
increase the signal of juicy data versus just adding more noise. I'm not, I'm, I, I really am not sure on that one, but I think it's really interesting. I don't, I've never seen that before. Yeah, I'll be curious to keep an eye on that and see if there's any any news. Um, or it might help one of us change or choose our, not change our baby names, choose our baby names one of these days. Or change, I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a baby? Really Would you like you. to change its name? <laughs> <laughs> choose Emma or Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you really do have a voice for late night television advertising. <laughs> My calling. <laughs> and that is the highest of compliments. <laughs> so, Dark, any ideas on how this uh, malware was installed or is installed? Yeah, you know, so this one doesn't, this piece of malware doesn't actually have like a particular exploit associated with it. So we can assume that all like the common medium paths uh, apply here. So, you know, it would probably be, uh, common to see this pop up in trojanized applications uh, from, you know, suspicious kind of third-party uh, um, software sharing sites. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up in uh, malicious emails, like as an embedded malicious document. Um, I think that's going to be the most common path here. This is all like uh, from a behavioral point of view, operating under like the user space. So no real exploits are needed. And uh, yeah, like I, I think those are going to be the most common vectors we see here. How concerned are you about the attack? So, not really concerned at all. What this thing, what what this particular piece of malware does, it it's loud, it's noisy. Um, it doesn't try to do anything sophisticated. So, if you have like a moderately successful, Sounds a lot like how I would describe myself. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you've got a decent AV, you're going to be just fine. I mean, if you take a look at the API as this thing hits, it it's just it's going to light up like a Christmas tree when it executes. So. Um, if you got a decent AV, you're going to be just fine. Um, if your security on the network perimeter is anything like in the 21st century, you're going to either block FTP egress or you're going to flag when it happens. So, you know, that two-prong approach, you should be just fine. Um, but if you don't have FTP egress or a decent AV that you've tested out against like ransomware samples, you should probably do that. Then your risk is going to be way higher to be affected by this. And everything else. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that was a fantastic deep dive, Tarek. So I think it's a healthy time to go into our hoodie ratings. So I'm going to start with our late night advertising vocal talent and also knower of many things. <laughs> <laughs> knower Emily of Hacker. things going to knower add that to my title. No pressure. That will be your title next week. Um, so what would you rate this at, Emily, in terms of hoodies? Yeah, this seems like a... It should be pretty low on the hoodie scale. I think Tark did a good job explaining why when he's mentioning that if you have almost any kind of controls in place for your organization, this is not something that's going to be affecting you. And in addition, he explained how it's probably, you know, a pretty low skilled um, threat actor. They're reusing code. They're using really outdated and unsophisticated techniques, you know, with FTP and all that. So I'm going to give this um, a two out of ten. I give it a two because if you um, are an individual and not a corporation, it's possible that this might affect you if you are, if you don't have like AV on your home computer, which you should, um, or if you are, you know, browsing some sketchy sites, this might affect you. But again, I think it's so outdated that even for home use, this is something that your your AV is going to detect. It's not something that's really going to um, proved to be too much of an issue. What do you think about that, Tarek? What would you grade this at? Uh, same Z's. It's definitely a two. 
Uh, Samesies. For, yeah. <laughs> for all the reasons I mentioned, definitely a two. If you're running uh, on your home computer, if you're running Windows 10, that comes with like Windows Defender enabled by default. And Windows Defender is going to pick this up mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. It's actually a pretty, as long as you have like the online cloud protection enabled, it's going to pick it up and stop it immediately. So you should be generally okay. But if you're running like Windows 7 or earlier um, and no AV, uh, bad news bears. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of many issues that you will come across. I was going to say, again, if you are not running AV on your machine, either your corporate or home machine, this is not your highest concern, this (laughs) particular piece of malware. You have other things to worry about. So So moving right along here to our next article, Not-So-Great Expectations, Cobalt Dickens, perhaps one of the more serious threat group names that I've come across, um, who's associated with the Iranian government, ran a phishing operation in July and August that targeted more than 60 universities and countries on four continents. So security researchers say that the group's hacking activity affected at least 380 universities in more than 30 countries, many of the targets being hit uh, numerous times. So for starters, I'd love to call in our resident APT expert, Emily Hacker. Knower of things. Knower of things. <laughs> Can you provide a brief history of Mr. Cobalt Dickens? Uh, or yes. Mrs. Or whoever. We don't know. We don't know. Just Cobalt. Cobalt. For short. Um, your boy Cobalt. <laughs> um, so besides being an absolutely spectacular name, uh, Cobalt Dickens is associated with the Mabna Institute, which, as you mentioned, Kelsey, is um, associated with the Iranian government. So it's a private government contractor that's based in Iran, and they work on behest of the government. Um, In March of 2018, the FBI indicted nine individuals from this organization for computer intrusion, wire fraud, and aggravated identity theft um, for the Iranian government. Their targets at that time had included 144 universities in the United States and 176 universities outside of the United States in 21 other countries. In addition, they had also targeted five federal and state government agencies in the U.S., 36 private companies in the U.S., 11 foreign private companies, and two international NGOs. You'd think they would have stopped there when they were indicted by the U.S. government and when they're tactics were called out and when nine of their individuals were literally had their faces plastered on a wanted poster by the FBI. However, they did not. And a mere five months later, in August of that month, SecureWorks released a report stating that they had evidence to suggest that the group had not stopped. In fact, they had continued targeting 76 universities in 14 countries using tactics similar to those before in an effort to steal credentials. So this group has been around for a little while, and they are consistent in their targeting of universities um, across many, many countries. I have two very important thoughts I need to share. Um, First of all, is there such thing as calm identity theft? (laughs) would like to look into that. Second thing... Every time somebody brings up posting somebody's face, I can't help but think about this wonderful poster um, that was put up in Washington, D.C., and they had a sign up there that said, Bill Posters will be prosecuted. And somebody put a sign up that said, Bill Posters is an innocent man. (laughs) (laughs) It just gets me every time. Poor Bill Posters. (laughs) Okay. Well, moving on to the, again, important information from the Knower of Things, Emily. So the research appears to indicate this phishing campaign leveraged free domains acquired through Freenom. 
an aptly named service. Can you provide some sort of details on this piece uh, and module, supposedly, of their campaign? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Freenom is a domain provider that administers some free TLDs, including .ml.ga.cf.gq and .tk. Here at Domain Tools, we've done research and found that several of those domains are notorious for having a high percentage of malicious activity associated with them. The sites that this group had registered also had valid SSL certs, which made them seem a lot more authentic. Um, when users visited them, it just that'll mean it has that little lock icon in the um, in the URL bar, which I think unfortunately users have been trained to think means the site is legitimate, when it just means it is technically secure. Um, the certificates were issued by Let's Encrypt, which does a lot of free SSL certs. Um, and I do want to make it clear that free domains and free SSL certs can be a really good thing for legitimate sites that need them, especially free SSL certs, because sites that don't have an SSL cert are going to be obviously, you know, HTTP. And so allowing these sites to get certificates to enable them to be more secure is good. But I think this campaign is a good example of how those types of free domains and free certs can be abused and used for nefarious purposes. The Internet's tagline is... This is why we can't have nice things. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) So who was targeted in this recent campaign? Well, the group really stuck to their core mission on this one and targeted universities, um, as we've seen them do multiple times before. And this time in particular, they targeted 60 universities or 60 universities have been identified. And those were in Australia, the U.S., um, the United Kingdom, Canada, Hong Kong and Switzerland. All in all, including previous campaigns, this group has been identified targeting at least 380 universities in over 30 countries, um, and many of the universities have been targeted multiple times. Um, It seems that this group frequently targets universities' library systems, which has led researchers to believe they may be trying to get their hands on intellectual property or other research conducted by these universities. Since they're conducting their operations um, on behest of the Iranian government, it's likely they're targeting information that, of course, would be of use to that government, um, such perhaps as uh, research that might be useful for weapons or defense development, transportation. I Not this group, but I've seen another group targeting like submarine blueprint type intellectual property in the past, um, or international relations publications. I personally didn't see any evidence of specifically what type of research they were targeting, but that would be my educated guess based on what the boss they're working for. The boss. Is this why we moved away from the Dewey Decimal System to obfuscate our IP? (laughs) It's all coming together. Sorry, Dewey. (laughs) Dewey, you did us well for a while. (laughs) So how was the phishing campaign itself carried out? The group used compromised university systems to send library-themed phishing emails. As I mentioned before, they're trying to steal credentials into the library system. So the emails that I saw on the article, um, they said stuff like, oh, your book is overdue or your library account is about to expire. Click here so you can fix this error. Um, So it was trying to make them believe that it was the library that was emailing them. And then, of course, it contained the links to spoofed login pages Um, for resources associated with the targeted universities. This phishing campaign was actually pretty similar to the previous campaigns that they had conducted in 2018, except in previous campaigns, they used shortened links to obscure the infrastructure, whereas in this campaign, they used spoofed URLs. 
Once a user clicks on the malicious link, they were led to a page designed to resemble the legitimate library website of the university, and it would ask for their credentials. If a user entered the credentials, those credentials were saved to a text file to be accessed by the threat actor later, and the user was actually redirected to the legitimate library page. So it was possible that the user would not be aware that they had actually ever sent their credentials off to the Iranian government. Absolutely. That's devastating and terrifying. Um, So what was the overall impact to the extent that we know of this campaign? Yeah. So besides obviously gaining credentials for multiple universities, there were a couple of other impacts. And the first, I think, is a lack of an impact, a non-impact, if you will, is that obviously the March 2018 FBI indictment had no impact on this group whatsoever. They have not even changed their tactics, let alone stop their operations. Um, So I personally just think that's interesting to note how gosh darn useless those indictments can be. But um, on a positive note, I did see that many universities are implementing multi-factor authentication now to help mitigate the threat from this group. So what that means is that even if a unsuspecting user does enter their credentials and the threat actor gets a hold of it, once the threat actor goes to log in as that user, they'll be prompted for the second layer of authentication, be it like a text code or like a Google authenticator or whatever, and then they will not be able to log in, hopefully. They will have at least more trouble logging in than they would if it was just a username and password type of situation. Well, that's good to hear that universities are taking steps pretty quickly. So that's great news. And um, Tarek, I might jet over to you and ask for your opinion here in terms of the hoodie ratings for this particular attack and campaign. You know, uh, so I'm going to give this one a four out of 10 because the scope of this is pretty huge. There's, what'd you say, over 380 different universities affected. That's a pretty huge scope. Um, it was successful. Um, and the type of data that was ex- like that was exposed is kind of sensitive too. Um, I give this a four out of ten. Um, I get maybe it'd be higher, but it's still a sim- pretty simple phishing campaign. So um, one thing to think about as a blue team, or kind of like what Emily already mentioned, is making sure you have MFA authentication on all of your systems. It's nowadays MFA is so easy to implement. So unfortunately, you don't want to have to be reactive like the universities were and implement MFA after you guys already got popped. Yeah. What do you think, Emily? Great points by Tarek there. Yeah, excellent points. I was actually thinking this might be a little bit higher. I was going to give it a 6 out of 10 um, just to bump it above the halfway threshold. Um, I do think that this is a pretty, you know, straightforward phishing attack. And it's not the 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 phishing emails and that aspect of this campaign themselves aren't necessarily that advanced. But how successful it is and the types of information they're going after um, in the long run can prove, you know, potentially to be fairly serious. So while it's it's not like the world's most sophisticated, like brand new tactics we're seeing, like super brand new cool malware, it's not any of that. I still think that this is something that, especially if you're a university, you should be um, watching out for and should be implementing um, 2FA or MFA, whatever they call it nowadays. Whatever the kids are calling yeah. it. <laughs> um, immediately. Yeah. All great notes. So we'll move on to our final discussion piece, Living Off the Land. It's been a summer of ransomware holdups, supply chain attacks, and fileless attacks flying under the radar of old school security. With malware running amok while we are lying on the beach, here's a recap of the most burning strains and trends seen in the wild during the months of July and August 2019. Um, I have to give props, by the way, to Hacker News for writing that um, fantastic intro to their article. So I had to read it in that um, really dramatic voice. So I hope you appreciated that. If not, thank you. (laughs) 
how much do this. <laughs> so, Tarek, for starters, I know you as a malware fiend. What are a few of the malware trends that stuck out to you in this featured article? Uh, yeah, so I think one of my favorite things um, in the malware space is to, like, see how things are evolving. Um, you know, it's always fascinating to see different exploits and different kind of data exfiltration techniques. But I think one of the sexiest things I've seen in the past couple of years is living off the land. Um, and that's a concept that is um, leveraging tools and binaries, executables um, that are native to the operating system. Um, and abusing them for malicious purposes. Um, so uh, a really juvenile example of that is maybe PowerShell. So PowerShell is like a scripting language on Windows 7 Plus um, operating systems. And um, it was designed to make system administration easier. Um, but at the same time, um, it's also proven to be a huge challenge in the security space because malware authors are leveraging PowerShell and abusing it to do bad things. Um, so... Uh, I think it continues to be one of my favorite trends. Um, it's it's always a huge challenge to defenders as well because what we have is we've got a benign process that's also whitelisted and signed by Microsoft. So how do you detect a benign legitimate process doing bad things? It becomes a huge challenge. And it's a big challenge in the EDR space as well. So when you look at the behavior of malware, um, even then, it can throw off a lot of detections. So it's it's always a really interesting one. Um, I think one of my favorite techniques that I found in an investigation was the cert util binary. And cert util is used to do um, SSL um, uh, certificate inspections and, and kind of analysis piece, right? And um, it's signed by Microsoft. It's a legitimate executable. But one of the interesting things is there's a feature there uh, inside of it where you can down, there's a capability to download base64 encoded blobs of data, which would be a certificate, and then execute it. Um, but what attackers are doing is they're replacing certificate data with an actual exe file, like a PE file. So you're able to natively, baked into Windows, uh, download and execute um, malware. And you have a native baked in uh, dropper right there from Microsoft. So shout out to Microsoft for making it easy. <laughs> And now for our new segment, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. <laughs> That's like the theme of this whole... It is. It might have to be the title. It might have to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, Emily, the, the article calls out Turla attacks. Um, I always want that to say turtle. It's not. It's Turla. Moving on. Turla la la la, I believe. <laughs> la 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 la. <laughs> Please see an earlier episode if you want to understand why that just happened. Um, so can you provide a brief summary on this attack and what the article is referring to? Yes, I can. So as you mentioned, we actually talked about this a lot more in depth on a previous episode. Um, it was episode 18. So if you are interested in the full commentary on this particular incident, please check out episode 18. However, for the Sparknotes version, I will give you that right now. Turla, which is a well-known APT group likely associated with Russia, has apparently... Um, taken over infrastructure that was previously used by Oil Rig, which is a well-known APT group associated with Iran. The article notes that in this particular campaign, um, the group Turla, they actually used a mix of both custom malware and publicly available hacking tools, as well as legitimate admin software, moving towards Tarek's favorite technique of living off the land. So in this particular instance, we saw Turla using PowerShell Runner, which is a publicly available tool used to execute PowerShell scripts without using PowerShell.exe, um, among other tools such as Meterpreter. 
Emily, thank you a tra la 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 really end for that. (laughs) (laughs) You are so welcome. Yeah. So glad I thought of that right now in this moment. (laughs) That was a unique joke on the fly. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, well, let's do the hoodie ratings here really quick. Um, And so this one, let's just generally talk about where malware is headed. Um, because I know this this article specifically is covering a bunch of trends. So I do recommend that you take a look on the full article on by Hacker News here. But just generally speaking, are we more or less concerned about malware? And I guess 10 is holy macaroni. We're in some trouble. And, and 0 or 1 is sort of like, this is getting better. We're seeing improvement. So somewhere in that scale, it's a little slightly different. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll start with you, Tarek. You know, um, so the attacker defender, like, space is constantly evolving and what we're seeing here is just more trends like following that you know we have the rise of like machine learning backed av which is called edr now which really focuses on the behavior of malware which gives you really awesome like signal to noise ratio good detection ratio Um, but we're seeing attackers get real creative and they're doing things like living off the land which is throwing off these edrs so um i'm gonna just say this is a Solid eight out of ten. You know, it's important for everybody who's a blue teamer to take a look at this stuff, uh, take a look at the report and see the trends. But it's also really important for red teamers too. As a red teamer, you want to make sure that you're doing your pen tests and building your implants and and following what the latest trends are, because that's the best way to test your security controls. Well said. What about you, Emily? I agree that the um this is probably the malware space right now is probably on the higher end of the hoodie spectrum around a, a seven or an eight um, because it's so interesting to, to me to see how attackers are able to move to, to things that we already know exist, I guess. It's almost like they're not having to evolve new tactics. They're just having to evolve into a space that companies aren't as capable of detecting or defending against. So... I also maybe am a little bit jaded, but um, it just seems like as time goes on, the attackers evolve and the defenders have to keep running in circles, maybe kind of fighting the same fights over and over and not evolving maybe at the same pace. As I said, I think I'm a little jaded. I know attack or defenders, excuse me, are um, evolving, but it just feels like some of this stuff is like with Tarek earlier, not a sophisticated example, but the FTP malware, it's like, what year is it? My God. And so it just feels a little disheartening to see that malware like that is cropping back up. And it's like, why? Because it's it's successful. So I just I think that this year has been a good example of like um, things are bad and they're not necessarily going to just magically get better. And so from the defender side of things, we really need to make sure that we step it up and companies need to take a step back and realize that, you know, minimal funding, minimal defense, that's not going to protect them forever. And they need to be able to evolve at the same pace that attackers are evolving. So got a little soapboxy there. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like I was in a halftime locker room talk. (laughs) It's real bad, but we can come back out there in the second half and we can beat these attackers, guys. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) True inspiration from the knower of things. The knower of things. (laughs) Well, that's all we have for everyone today. Thank you, Tarek. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you for thanking me. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get like a thank you. 
Off. And next week, we'll still be thanking each other on Breaking Badness. Um, <laughs> with that, thank you for letting us live in your ears here for the last 30 or so minutes. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing you virtually next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.